The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. I had to calm down to take the time to think through what I wanted to say about what we all witnessed on Wednesday, January the 6th, 2021, in our nation's capital. The day started peacefully enough with a powerful plea for national unity from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. It was a nice surprise. But at that moment, outside the Capitol, a mob was assembling. And a mile down Pennsylvania Avenue, the current president of the United States was exhorting a crowd to, quote, follow me, we are going to march to the Capitol, unquote. Marching to the Capitol to demand that Congress toss out the Electoral College votes for Joe Biden and install Donald Trump for a second term. Never mind that such an action would destroy our Constitution and our small r Republican democracy. You know what? Mob is too nice a word for what they were. They were rebels in open rebellion against the United States of America, its citizens, and its elected representatives. And as the president, I use that word guardedly, as the president sent the rebels with their flags flying, marching down the avenue toward the Capitol, (laughs) well, the coward who said, follow me, that coward hightailed it back to the White House to watch the spectacle he believed would keep him in power. He wanted to watch it play out on television. The president of the United States, President Donald J. Trump, is literally, physically a coward, as is his son and namesake. You know, I'm not a lawyer, I'm a businesswoman. And we're not in a courtroom where I must produce evidence. But I'm pretty good at observation. So let's try some observation. There were the speeches, the tweets, the exhortations, the inadequate preparations for the expected Washington, D.C. protests on Wednesday. There was a White House holding back the National Guard support units and denying the guard the protective gear and defensive weapons they had had in June. There was a refusal by someone not yet named to allow the FBI to reinforce the Capitol, despite the intelligence briefings they had given to the Capitol Police. And then there were the presidential promises of a, quote, wild time, unquote. The mob boss and his consigliere, Rudy Giuliani, you know, time for combat, Rudy, knew what was going to happen, and they believed it would scare members of Congress into voting to refuse to certify the election of Joe Biden. Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, and a supporting cast of not-too-bright senators, well, 
and a bunch of less bright house members, they were just convenient pawns needed to get the operation underway. And in typical mob fashion, completely expendable after that. This was plain and simple. This was a conspiracy to mount an insurrection against the United States of America. There is no way to avoid that conclusion. No, it wasn't treason. And that's only because the Constitution requires that the United States be at a state of war for the crime to be called treason with a capital T. So what we have here is merely sedition, the attempt to violently overthrow the government. And you know what? It must be punished. It must be punished. We cannot just say, phew, got through that and move forward. Storming the Capitol cannot become a precedent for how our elections are contested. For if it does become a precedent, then we will surely, as a nation, perish from this earth. And therein lies the quandary. How to avoid a precedent and at the same time avoid dragging the country through another two-year investigation that stops the Joe Biden administration from settling in and beginning to work with Congress to solve the nation's biggest problems, to solve COVID, to begin to restore our economic vitality, to learn how to conserve our wonderful natural resources and to ensure climate change without craziness. But there must be a balance between avoiding the precedent and an and in, interminable investigation. We just cannot treat what's happened as letting bygones be bygones. Because even before we think about how horrible it would be to set that precedent, we must first and foremost recognize that five people are dead as a result. And if it hadn't been for the quick thinking of Maryland and Virginia's governors, Maryland's a Republican, Virginia's a Democrat, who mobilized their National Guards and their state police to provide mutual assistance hours before they were even given permission to enter the federal district, had they merely, those two governors, had they merely begged the Pentagon for permission and not mobilized, had not been ready to roll, perhaps scores more would be dead or grievously injured tonight. These rebels came with guns, bombs, plastic handcuffs, and the wood and hardware for the gallows they erected outside the Capitol building. They meant to do bodily harm, perhaps as they were screaming, to hang the Vice President of the United States and the Speaker of the House. 
Should the president be charged with conspiracy to overthrow the US government? Is such a charge too much or too little? Without any reference, without any thought about impeachment, resignation, or pardons, even should the president resign today, that would not change the need to answer that quest fundamental question. Should the president be charged with conspiracy to overthrow the US government? And should his co-conspirators outside of Congress be investigated and if appropriate, charged, tried, and sent to prison if convicted? It turns out there's no provision in the Constitution to recall a member of Congress. So next, we must ask, what do you do with the minority leader of the House and his assistant, plus 136 other Republican members who were part of this sedition, who voted for the sedition even after the National Guard had removed the rebels from the Capitol building? What do you do? Do you expel them? Do you censure them for their participation? Do you remove them from leadership? Do you strip them of all their committee assignments, rendering them useless to their constituents and impotent as future political leaders, destined to lose their next election as a result? Do you investigate them for criminal conspiracy? Someone opened the doors to the Capitol to let the rioters in. And someone led them through the recesses of the Capitol. Trust me, I've been there. It's a warren of hallways, tunnels, et cetera. And if you don't have a guide, there is no way that an ordinary citizen from Arkansas is gonna find the speaker's office. Ain't no way, no how, couldn't happen. Depending on their role in the unfolding conspiracy, should Texas and Missouri's bar associations lead the way for, ret for retribution or, or, or um, appropriate punishment by revoking Cruz's and Holly's law licenses? They certainly do seem to have abused them sufficiently. And what about the rebels? themselves? What about climbing the flagpole to replace the stars and stripes with the Trump flag? Or parading the Confederate flag in the rotunda of the capital of the United States? You know, one of my close associates suggested that every rebel who was there in the building be rounded up and thrown in jail for life. Now, that was his anger, his outrage speaking as he watched this desecration of our most central governing structure. But yes, if we think about this more reasonably, if a person came to the capital of the United States armed with zip tie handcuffs and beat police officers who were standing in front of the House of Representatives ceremonial chamber trying to hold back the mob while a hundred house members were barricaded inside and trying to escape, yes, those rebels should be locked up and the key thrown away, even if we need to build a new supermax prison to hold them all. 
Or, of course, we could send them to Gitmo. One cannot say enough about the few brave officers who stood their ground outside the speaker's ceremonial entrance to the chamber without any protective gear, staring down a raging mob until reinforcements could reach them. But who in their own midst, who in their own midst, who in the Capitol Police Force betrayed them? Who in their midst is a part of the conspiracy? Answering that question is the most urgent work of the FBI. There's a murder to solve. A murder of a Capitol policeman bludgeoned with a fire extinguisher torn from a wall. And you know what else the FBI's urgency is driven by? There's an inauguration scheduled to be held on the steps of that building in only 12 days. At that inauguration, in addition to President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris and their families will be the Obamas the Bush 43s, and the Clintons, and perhaps Mike and Karen Pence. They've got to be secured, all of those people. They must be secured from either an inside job or an outside attempt on their lives. And speaking of an outside job, a former information systems administrator for the Capitol wrote on Twitter this morning, That person was worried that a foreign enemy, or a domestic one for that matter, could have infiltrated the mob, pushing its way into the Capitol, and during the confusion, planted any number of forms of spyware in the Capitol's information technology systems, or planted listening devices in lamps or electronic sockets of any or all of the Capitol offices and ceremonial chambers. The entire United States Capitol must now be scrubbed for bugs, for listening devices, for network malware, and other forms of electronic espionage. Because you know what? We cannot assume that there was no intrusion. We must make certain that there was no intrusion. And we must do that work in addition to the recent Solar Winds episode, which is still under investigation and remediation. So the question becomes, where is all the manpower to do this work and do it thoroughly and do it quickly going to come from? Who's thinking about that at this moment? And if all of this was not enough, reports of active duty military using their identification to get inside the building to lead the rebels in their wake is truly troubling. This use of military identification to enter and lead other rebels into the Capitol follows the killing of both a federal security guard in Oakland this summer and a couple of days later, a Santa Cruz County deputy sheriff, both shot by an active duty airman with a highly sensitive security clearance, who it turned out is a boogaloo boy, a virulent white 
supremacist organization. The rebel killed in the Capitol assault was a veteran of 14 years in the U.S. Air Force. The Joint Chiefs must have been immediately set up a task force to identify every white supremacist cell in the United States military, because it's now clear there are several, and remove them. They must use the commission to identify potential problems at recruitment that at this moment have failed to screen out people who are or could be radicalized by the by right-wing white supremacist organizations. Radicalization is something that must be looked for and examined in every readiness report of every active duty soldier, sailor, airman, and airwomen, and Marines. The risk of a fifth column within our military, let me repeat that, the risk of a fifth column within our military is intolerable. White supremacists are the largest domestic terror threat to Homeland Security. We've talked about this before. Both the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI identify them as our, the greatest threat to our security. But now we also find that they are embedded in our law enforcement community, apparently, because they were part of this conspiracy. And that is doubly troubling. And again, the realization that this problem exists within law enforcement, this thinking exists within law enforcement, calls for more scrutiny at the time of recruitment and the rapid removal of officers for abuses that have been way too long under examined and or overlooked, swept under the rug by powerful police unions. Knocking conspiracy theorists off Twitter and Facebook and banning the banning parlor from the Apple App Store may make us all feel good tonight, but it won't solve the problem of white supremacist radicalization. In the long run, the only thing that will protect our fragile democracy is leadership. Honest men and women willing to tell the truth and tell the truth consistently so that every American hears the same truth. Even if that truth puts the politician at risk of defeat at the polls. That is the part of public service that too many of our politicians seem to have forgotten. It's the service part we elect them to do, not the power part. In addition to honest men and women in leadership, a scarce commodity in this day, we must have strict enforcement of both our laws and our norms of civil, political, and social decency. Political and social decency have been in short supply in Washington, D.C. in the past decade. Let us pray for its return, lest we inadvertently sacrifice our freedom and our security. 
We'll be back as the facts of the Trumper rebellion, as I like to call it, become clearer so that we can talk in more detail about how we might potentially solve this problem and avoid in our lifetimes ever, in our children's lifetimes, ever seeing a similar scene. And you know what? Next week, early in the week, we'll be back to talk about why, in spite of the sadness and the anger that we feel at the end of this tumultuous week. I think a closely divided Congress is just what the nation needs to get some spring in our step by this coming spring. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.